We are, uh, we're gonna have a good time though today. I say that because it's gonna be a good time, but it's also gonna be one of those times where potentially you'll, you'll also be like, uh, okay, yes, yes. See, we've been in this series, Loving Logic, and we've been having some, some pretty intense conversations about what we believe. And um, you know what I find, I find funny is this. Uh, <laughs> we, um, we, are, we are Christians. The majority of us here, the majority of us watching online, we're, we're Christians, or we've had a lot of exposure to the Christian faith, you know. And, um, but whenever we begin to kind of dig into what we really believe, right, what, we, what, what are the tenets of our faith are, for a lot of us, that becomes very confusing, and it becomes very um, like, man, I'm really having to dial in. And it, it just makes me think, you know, and I'm talking about myself. I'm not like picking on anybody, but it makes me think, like, maybe we don't actually think about these things enough, right? Because if, if we're basing our eternity and, I mean, our life and we're, we're Christians, we're all in, and yet there's some, some of the basics of our faith that sort of confuse us, maybe that should should let us know a little bit something about, let, let me put it like this. Okay, so if, whatever your job is, let's say wherever, wherever you work, you are, uh, you've been there for 10 years, right? You've been working there for 10 years. And let's say something pretty important, man. Like, I mean, if, if you don't do your job well, like you're in the health department or medical field, right? And you've been there, like, okay, a nurse. And you've been there for 10 years and uh, somebody's sick and, and they come in and they, and they start asking you questions about their body and what's wrong with them. And, and you're like, well, that's like, I kind of generally know about health, but like, I mean, I'm not an expert or anything. <laughs> They're like, but you're a nurse. It's like, well, I mean, yeah, but also no. Um, because like, you know, there's a lot of things that it gets pretty complicated. And so, I mean, you should go talk to like, one of the, like a, another nurse because I'm just, I'm kind of new. Haven't you been a nurse for 10 years? Yeah, but I'm still kind of like, ah, that's how it feels sometimes when you talk to a Christian. <laughs> can, I, can I just be honest? It's like, hey, you're a Christian. Yeah. So can you explain why you're a Christian? Yeah, well, you know, God and um, it's uh, Jesus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's also the cross, and that's another reason why I'm a Christian. Okay, <laughs> a lot of people died on crosses back in the day. What makes your person so special? Y'all get where I'm going with this. Okay, and, and so, uh, so as a church, one of our goals is to, to help us all kind of be conditioned to be able to really understand why we believe what we believe. And not only just for ourselves, although that's important, I believe that we need to know what we believe, why we believe it for our own faith, to be able to, to lead our own families and, and all that good stuff, but also so that we could actually go to those and speak to those people who are far from God, who don't know, who don't just have childlike faith to believe God, right? And all these, these things, but to actually make a, a, a reason, give a reason for the hope that's within us. So that's really at the heart of this series, Loving Logic, is to logically look at what we believe and, uh, and to be able to communica communicate those things lovingly. But we've also been speaking about something that many of you maybe have not heard of, but it's called progressive Christianity. And uh, there is a movement in our society it's nothing, I don't, I don't want to be an alarmist, but it's, it's nothing brand new, but it, it does have a brand new, uh, there's a fuel in the tank behind this movement in our culture right now. It's taking a lot of ground, not only in just the world, but in the church. Look, we, 
I expect people who don't know God to, to believe like they don't know God, right? To act like they don't know God. But whenever those belief systems begin to infiltrate the church, the body of Christ, and then there's confusion in the body of Christ because of these things that are being mixed in, we've gotta take a hard look at these things and really be specific and delineate between what we believe and what the, what the, what the world believes, right? And so, so that, again, that's kind of the heart of what we're doing. Um, we're really using Colossians 2.8 as sort of a basis of our, of our series, and it says this, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. There are philosophies, there are deceitful philosophies in our world, always have been, but, but in our world today, that are deceiving Christians and non-Christians, and they're not according to Christ, okay? Um, so our goal in this series is to be informed and equipped to declare biblical truth in a loving and logical way. That's our goal, all right? So uh, progressive Christianity. Now, we spent a lot of time last week talking about this. Again, I want to remind you, if this is your first time here or first time in this series, there might be some things that we refer to that, uh, that maybe you haven't heard before and it's kind of foreign. It's probably because we talked about it in the last couple of weeks. And so, again, I'd encourage you, if you miss a week, jump on YouTube or podcast and, uh, and, and catch up that way. But we talked about progressive Christianity. But I want to say one thing about progressive Christianity. It is not true Christianity. It's, uh, its claims about um, Christianity are heretical at best and at, at, at worst and error at best. Uh, I say claims because um, there's a lot of different claims. There's a spectrum to progressive Christianity. There is no one doctrine or dogma or tenet of their faith. It's sort of like a, a list of ideas that sort of is summarized in stories and experiences. And then it's kind of like, put together with other religions and it's kind of all conflated together and it's delivered and people are eating it up left and right. Um, there's a lot of spiritualism in our, in our nation and in our world. And so it matches that movement of spiritualism and new age feel and people are just eating it up. And it, and it sounds a lot like Christianity. I mean, they even use terms like Christ and they believe, well, some of them believe in like this resurrection, but it's not in the way that you believe in the resurrection. It's not in the way that we have traditionally held these beliefs. It's a new spin, a new version. And that's what makes it harder to spot. I was just reading a book this past week and uh, by a well-known Christian author, author and um, you know, there, there was a few things that I had read up to that point that I was like, okay, I mean, that's a little bit like, it's on the edge there, but okay, we're still good. And then this guy quoted someone that, uh, that we've specifically talked about. The guy is, he's a, he's a heretic. Like, and, and look, that word, I know it's thrown out there a whole lot by a lot of people, and I think people misuse that word, and it's like one person that says something that they just slightly disagree with. They're like, heretic! You know, it's like a witch hunt all the time for heretics. I'm not, but there's people who specifically say things that are 100% straight up, like Jesus is not God. He, he did not have to die. Like certain things that are, they're heretical. They are, they are not the doctrine of our faith. And I'm reading this book and I'm like, oh my goodness, here's this well-known author who's, who's introduced tens of thousands of people into this person who has 
a, a doctrine that is, if you, if you read what this guy has, you know, would say, you'd be like, oh my goodness, that's, that's literally not what the Bible says. And it's like, I know that's, that's why we're talking about this because it's infiltrating a lot of things. And so there's two progressive, there's, there's progressive Christian statements that we are tackling throughout this series. 10 statements b- made by a man named Philip Gully who wrote a book in 2009. It's called If the Church Were Christian. And uh, again, if y'all remember two weeks ago, we talked about the songs and like Max Martin, you know, kind of the author of these songs, but all you know is Justin Timberlake and Taylor Swift and all these big artists. But the guy that actually wrote these songs, his name is Max Martin. Um, Philip Gully is sort of like a Max Martin in the progressive Christian movement. There, there's people who have has read his book and, and read his stuff and they're, they're using the, the, some of the verbiage and some of the thought processes and, and they're pushing it into Christianity. He's not the only one, but he's one of, of many. And so anyway, he makes 10 progressive Christian statements that we are reading and then we are breaking down the logic of it and then we're stating what we believe about these things. And so these statements are not statements that we agree with just before I read them, but they're also statements that sound really good. They sound good. Like some of you, if I said it with a lot of emotion and like with a lot of like gusto, you would probably, probably amen me. Have you ever done that before? Like somebody says something and they, they're kind of tricking you and they say it with a lot of passion. And you're like, oh yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, I agree. They're like, dude, that was actually a lie. Like I was, you know, was... these statements can be like that. So let me read them to you. Number, uh, number one is this. Affirming people's potential is more important than reminding them of their brokenness. That would be one statement. And again, these statements represent an idea. You might not hear people say these words directly, but they they think like this, that affirming people's potential is way more important than reminding them of their brokenness. They would also say that the work of reconciliation should be valued over making judgments. And like always, again, there's things we, we agree with some of these statements. There's, there's different the concepts. You know, when you talk about reconciliation, uh, man, we all wanna be reconciled one to another. And of course, reconciliation for Christians, man, you know, between humans and God. And, and reconciliation is a great idea, of course, uh, the potential of humanity. Don't we all love to talk about one another's potential? You know, you look to your kid, you have potential and like you could be anything you wanna be. And, we're, we're kind of like in this whole, like everybody gets a, uh, a trophy culture nowadays. You know, everybody's a, a 100% winner and you could be anything you wanna be. I'm 5'6", and I weighed 120 pounds in high school and uh, I couldn't have been an NFL football player. You know what I'm saying? Okay, the reason that I could have been a football player is because I'm very small. That was the joke of that statement. Some of you are like, why not? Yeah, you can be anything you want to be. No, you can't. I could have never been an NFL football player. I could have been a, a Do what? Not with that attitude. Thank you, Cesar. That's exactly, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's all attitude. No, there's some realistic things in play, like physics. Anyway. I'm gonna have to move a lot slower through this message than I thought I would, since we're getting hung up on the whole Jordan couldn't have been an NFL football player thing. Anyway, um, but um, affirming the, the, the positive side and everything. Did you know that if you just affirm one side or even you know, if you affirm that, like that's actually false affirmation. Like there is a thing called false affirmation and it, it's, it's really just lying to somebody. 
That's really all that false affirmation is. It's, it's accentuating something that's really not that. It actually, it reminds me of a commercial that I saw, uh, and it's, it's, it's Pinocchio as a motivational speaker. <laughs> and I believe we have that clip with us. Can we go ahead and show that real quick? This is what it feels like. I look around this room, and I see nothing but untapped potential. You have potential. You have, oh boy. <laughs> That's what it feels like sometimes. Whenever we're just accentuating like the potential at everyone. And it's like, and man, don't get me wrong. Like I, I believe, man, look, there's positive reinforcement. There's a lot of things that we could talk about, but I think you guys understand what I'm talking about right now. Pinocchio was lying. He's looking out there and there ain't much potential here for whatever he was trying to sell, you know? And uh, so really what it, it becomes, it becomes kind of a lie. It's a half truth at best, right? And so a lot of times when it comes to this, this, this progressive Christian mindset, it celebrates the innate goodness in people. That's what they focus on is, is there's goodness in everyone. There's goodness there. And so uh, they, they, when they read the Genesis story, it's we're created in the image of God, but what about the fall, <laughs> right? But no, let's not talk about that. Let's just talk about the positive and accentuate the positive. And, uh, and we can see the potential of humanity, but what about the obvious brokenness in humanity as well? Look around. There's brokenness everywhere. There's broken relationships. We're physically broken. There's suffering. There's pain. It's all around us. And sometimes it's like, hey, guys, let's just, let's just ignore all that. You know, it, it can kind of start coming across like that. Ignore it. But I would, I would pose the question, where does the brokenness come from? What's the root of of, of the problem, it's sort of like if somebody's coughing, they have a cough, and, um, and we take medicine a lot of times to treat the symptoms of that cough, right? It's like, I just need to, I just need to stop this cough, like, <clears throat> I just need some water or something, and sometimes it's that, but if somebody continues to cough, it's like, wait, why are you coughing? What if that person has pneumonia? What if there's something deeper going on? And a lot of times in our society, we're just treating the cough, we're like, we see the pain, we see the suffering, and we're like, man, we just need a better economic policy. That's what we need. If we had the right president, then I tell you, the cough would go away, right? I mean, like, that's, that's the way that people see things. And look, there's a lot to be said of, of how we can do better in certain ways. But this whole idea that we can just try really hard and then we're going to fix all the problems, it's just not reality, it's diagnosing the wrong things. It's looking at the symptoms, not the problem. And so we won't find a solution by ignoring the problem. It's sort of like you got the knock in your car and you just crank up the radio, all right? It'll just go away on its own. It might, but so will your car. It will break down and it'll be smoking on the side of the road. So the sound will be gone, but so will your transportation. Um, so we believe as Christians, we believe that this brokenness is ultimately sin. We were created in the image of God and are today, but through disobedience, uh, we're fractured by sin. And so we all have this deep desire to get back to that place. We do, we wanna get back to that optimal place where we, uh, you know, like Adam and Eve, they walked in the cool of the day with God. Like we have this picture in our mind, I believe that eternity, that, that goodness is, is in our heart, like that the desire for that, but there's an issue. Now, if you really boil down these statements, and again, if you read the books and if you begin to listen to the, uh, to the, 
the lectures and all the conversations surrounding these ideas. And I'm just going to skip to what the, these things are really coming at the doctrine of sin and coming and undermining the doctrine of atonement. Now, last week we talked about how in the Christian faith, there are certain flexible ideas and beliefs that we have. And what I mean, you know, we have a lot of different denominations, okay? Now, one of the reasons is that there's some, there's some I'll, I'll call them minors. Like there's some minor things in our doctrines that, hey, man, you interpret that part of scripture a little bit differently than I do. Or you, maybe God's just literally called someone to have a certain type of ministry or, or whatever. And so they kind of follow that. And all of a sudden we start dividing and, and, and look, there's some things about denominations that are negative and some things that are positive. I'm not here to talk about denominationalism today or anything, but, but, but there's certain things that are so important that if you remove them, the whole thing falls apart. And uh, we talked about Jenga, you know, we talked about Jenga and how there's certain things in Jenga, I mean, you can tap them and kind of move them out and, and it's all good. But there's, there's certain Jenga pieces that if you take that Jenga piece out, the whole thing's gonna come crashing down, right? I mean, it's like the whole, you know, you got the whole thing, like, like and, and you're trying to, like, take, this is the rest of the Jenga set, by the way. Um, that's, what, that's, what, that's what that is. You guys should be in uh, some of our meetings sometimes. Like, I, I just grab random things on the table. I'm like, okay, so this right here is this, and this, um, I'm not very good with illustrations, but you guys get the point. If I was to remove this Jenga piece, try to pull it out really quick, there's water everywhere, right? The whole thing falls apart. And uh, the doctrine of sin and atonement is a Jenga piece that if you remove it from what we believe, uh, I don't know what we're doing here right now. Like every week that we preach, we're wasting our time. The songs that we just sang were really weird if you don't understand sin and atonement. Like, why are these people singing about blood so much, you know? And some of you might be wondering that, and that's why we're here to talk about today. So let's start with this. What is sin? What, what is sin? And a lot of us, we know, you know, it's missing the mark. A lot of you have heard that, that illustration, and that's true. It's this archery term that has to do with there's this bullseye that, that, that somebody's shooting their bow and arrow at, right? And then they miss the mark, and sin is missing the mark. God created us in his image, and through disobedience, man has missed the mark, right? And we continue to miss the mark in who we are. And so sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created it by not being who he created us to be and not doing what he created us to do. Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created, not being or doing what he requires in his law. And this is something that the church has held on to for generations, okay? This is what sin is. And there's this, there's this other concept of, it's called original sin. And there's different terms to kind of describe this, but, but original sin uh, refers to the fact that we sin because we are sinners by nature, having inherited this nature from Adam, and we are without hope apart from the saving grace of God in the gospel. Okay, so that's, that's what sin is. And then there's this deeper, this concept of original sin, meaning that we are born in sin. We have a sin nature. We talk about it as the condition of sin. Whenever we say sin, many times people go straight to conduct, which is uh, doing sins, right? Like doing wrong things. And that is part of it, but it's not the only part of it. There is a condition 
and a conduct, okay? And it is, it is sin. So we have this sin issue. The first difficulty for some people is to believe that we actually have a sin problem. Some people struggle with this idea. Progressive Christians would actually say we have original goodness, not sin. And you're going to hear that over and over. No, it's the original goodness in us. We are innately good. And if you're talking about the fact that we were made in the image of God, I would say, oh, okay, but that's, that's just the first part of the story. The second part is that we fell. And if you don't know and believe the second part, then there's a whole lot of things about this life that are very confusing, such as the brokenness that we just described. And so the Bible would also contradict this idea. Next week, we're going to talk about truth, and we're going to talk about why we believe that the Bible is true. But today, we're going to speak about the Bible as if we all kind of have this, this mindset that the Bible is true. But the Bible is very clear that we do have a sin problem. 1 John 1 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. I like that. We deceive ourselves. Uh, and the truth is not in us. Okay, so, so there, there's one scripture, Isaiah 59. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Speaking to Israel, God does not even hear you because your iniquities have separated you from him. But what did Jesus say about it? Well, this is what Jesus said. John 8, truly, truly, I say to you, every person who practices sin is a slave to sin. Everybody in this room right now is either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. That's what the Bible is very clear about. There is no in-between. There is no like kind of maybe a little bit here, maybe a little bit there. We're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. And Jesus says if you are uh, in the habit of, if you practice sin, you're a slave to sin, which should kind of keep all of us very, very humble and, uh, and kind of bring us back to sinner, right? Um, so progressive Christianity conflicts with the entire Bible's narrative because if there is no sin, then there is no need for judgment, redemption, restoration, all these things. And we see these realities all throughout scripture. And so scripture says things, progressive Christianity, their, their, their starting point begins to veer very quickly away from this truth. They also don't believe in original sin, which we talked about, which we may also call like depravity the depravity of men, okay? And subsequently, because they don't believe in original sin, they also struggle with the beliefs surrounding the fact that sin needs to be dealt with. And they are especially resistant to the whole Jesus have to, having to die on the cross thing, all right? Because if you don't believe in sin, then eventually you're gonna really struggle with the whole atonement thing. And uh, so for some of you, I really believe this. Maybe you're watching online, you're here today. You actually would find yourself in that place right now. You would find yourself in a place where you, you really do struggle with whether or not Jesus' sacrifice is a real thing, a necessary thing, or it still feels like something that you really don't wanna talk a lot about because it feels very violent or, you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of people who, who kind of have this mindset and it's because their perspective of it has been skewed. And so I wanna give you an example of what it sounds like whenever someone's perspective is skewed about the whole Jesus dying on the cross thing. Let's watch this video. This is the most disturbing theology of evangelical Christianity. The idea that in order for God to forgive sin, he had to pour our sin on Jesus and trample the innocent son of God. 
as a sacrifice in order to be able to enact forgiveness upon us. This isn't good news, friends. This isn't the gospel. This is a message of an abusive, tyrannical God who demands blood sacrifice in order to be gracious and merciful. This is not the God revealed in Jesus, who is the God that extends forgiveness and grace freely. Jesus did not have to die as a sacrifice in order for God to be forgiving. God was already forgiving. Jesus died to reveal our brokenness and to show us a better way. Through breaking open our lives and pouring them out for the good of others, we can enact salvation. All right. So that is a pervasive perspective in our culture nowadays. And for some of you, you're like, I've never thought about, I've never read the Bible from that direction before. But there are many, many, many who are reading the Bible from that perspective. And many of you in this room today, I know, have struggled with this. And for for some of you, you hear these words and you're like, man, that actually, it kind of like resounds with me a little bit. Like I, I, I feel that right there. And, and that's why we must continually talk about how we believe about Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. Because very quickly we can go from this, this story of the sacrificial love of Christ to this barbaric, you know, human sacrifice, child abusive type of lens. And, uh, and for, for some, it's like, let's just not talk about it because we don't wanna expose people to that idea so that way people don't know it's out there. And, and I think the opposite. I think that we should talk about it. I think that our young people should hear this perspective so that we actually have the opportunity to, to really define this, the, the true biblical perspective and the heart of God and why Jesus had to come and give his life for us. So that's what we're gonna do. You know. The, uh, the, the, the Bible speaks about the cross and blood sacrifice and all these things. And, and so I want to kind of go through a list of scriptures. The first couple of scriptures I want to go through is in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin, the problem that we just discussed, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so for so the wages of sin, the problem of sin creates this issue where death is, is inevitable, okay? And also in Hebrews 9, we see that indeed under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sin. So we have this problem of sin that's here and the result of it is death, physically, emotionally, spiritually, it's death. All creation is, is affected by this, okay? It's not just us as people. I believe all creation is affected by this. And, and then we see that the forgiveness of sin, the thing that will actually bring reconciliation is the shedding of blood. So there's a price to pay for sin. But this perspective, it, uh, it paints God as an abusive, again, uh, abusive parent, if you will, um, and it, it totally perverts the atoning work of Christ. And so it's very important that we actually speak about this. Um, they've taken the message of John 3.16 and turned it from for God so loved the world that he gave his only son to for God so hated the world that he killed his only son. And as you begin to read the Bible through this perspective, every single book begins to fall apart. Every book, everything all of the Pauline epistles fall apart. 
the Old Testament, the law, things become weird and strange. And all of a sudden, God goes from this gracious God to this tyrannical God. He begins to look a lot like the other false gods of the time in the Old Testament that, that needed blood sacrifice. And, and you know what I'm saying? And, and we, could, we could spend some time speaking about that. You know, I, I believe that Abraham and Isaac, I believe it's a picture of God showing Abraham that he was different and showing us today that he was different than those gods, that no, he did not desire human sacrifice, right? And, and we, could, we could speak about that for a little while. But in this video, he says Jesus didn't have to die. And that's a pervasive thought nowadays. Guys like Rob Bell and other men have really been promoting this idea. Again, it's been around a long time. It's nothing brand new. But in our culture today, these are some of the men that are kind of pushing this, some of the people that are pushing this idea. And uh, so basically Jesus laid down his life for us as a display of sacrificial love. And this response that we just looked at uh, says, Jesus, you didn't have to die. We could have just saved ourselves. I just... I don't see that. And I, I also, I don't see that in our society. Like generation after generation, it's not getting better. You know what I'm saying? Like we're not, we, we might be getting better in certain ways, like medical and technology and different things. But, you know, Romans 1 talks about how we, we, uh, we invent new ways to sin. You know, and I'm like, yeah, we're, we're progressing, but we're also progressing in the ability to create new ways to just dishonor God and to elevate ourselves, worship ourselves, right? And, uh, and, and so it's still the same sin. It's just expressing itself differently. So uh, this video is one that contradicts the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement. And I mean, don't raise your hands, but, but I wonder how many of us have ever heard that doctrine. There's, there's three words put together. Because this is, this is one of the Jenga pieces, okay? And there's different ways of describing this, and there's, some, there's a spectrum to how some people would lean into certain weights of these words. However, for, for people to, be, uh, tr- uh, uh, to call themselves a Christian, I believe that you must have a, this component of belief operating in your faith. And if you don't, then you are headed down another path that really doesn't lead, it doesn't lead to, to Christianity, okay? It leads to, at, at, at the least, it's just progressive Christianity, but at the most, it's gonna eventually be a conflation of all religions, and it's really nothing at all. It's pluralism. And so, what does this mean? Well, uh, penal means that Jesus willingly took on the punishment for sin, that, uh, that the cross was a... A punitive act, meaning that there needed to be punishment, okay? And so the second word, substitutionary, is that Jesus willingly took our place. Now, the word willingly is a very important piece of that puzzle because if Jesus willingly became our sacrifice, then God did not force him. The Father did not force the Son. And it was not child abuse. It was not murder. It wasn't any of these horrible, horrific uh, adjectives used to describe the, the attribute and, or the character of God. So Jesus willingly, we see that in the garden where he willingly submitted himself to the plan of God. Uh, and atonement is that Jesus' blood paid this price for sin and satisfied the wrath of God towards, sin, towards that sin. And the wrath of God is also a very, very, very controversial thing because whenever we think, we think of wrath, we think of 
uncontrolled fury and rage. That's what we mean. Like, you're going to experience my wrath. And what that means is I'm going to throw stuff across the room. And I'm going to... But that's not what the wrath of God means. All right? So, so let's hit pause on that because we'll get back to that here in just a second. But the word atonement, it comes from a Hebrew word, uh, kafar, which means to cover, purge, or make reconciliation. All right? And so we see the first mention of this in Genesis when God takes the skin of an animal to cover Adam and Eve after they sin, after they disobey God, and it's symbolic of our sin being covered by the sacrifice of Jesus. Again, whenever you have this lens of the, the sin and atonement properly applied to, your, to your, your mind, as you read the word, you begin to see these types and these shadows and these things all throughout Scripture. It's not just in, in the New Testament. It's all throughout Scripture. And that's why we have to be conditioned to read the Bible in a proper way so we can see that God's plan, this was God's plan all along. We also see it in the sacrificial system throughout the Old Testament where the blood of animals atoned for the sins of Israel. And, uh, and so because of these things, we believe that Jesus Christ willingly took the full punishment for our sins that we justly deserved as a substitute in our place. It's what we believe. This is why whenever we sang these two songs earlier, there were people in here who were singing these songs with such passion, right? Like I boast in Christ. I, I, I boast in the blood of Jesus. What does that mean? That's why we're talking about this, because those songs matter if we believe this. So Romans 3 says this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That contradicts the first statement that we just read, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forth as a propitiation, which is like a, a satisfying payment, by his blood. And that's what reconciles us back to God, which is talking about reconciliation. The, Jesus was judged. He took on the judgment, the punishment for us so we could be reconciled, okay? And this is to be received by faith. And uh, there's some other scriptures. I believe we had some other scriptures that mention atonement. Yeah, if you guys want to write these down or take a picture of some of these, these are other scriptures that you can go and, and read about uh, how the Bible describes atonement. Uh, and, and these are all in the New Testament, obviously. But this idea is so important to grasp and not just skip over it because if we skip over it, it's sort of like a tire being out of balance. Okay, the car continues to go down the road, but the tire's being worn out unevenly. And eventually, you know, you, you hit a puddle and you hydroplane, you know what I'm saying? Or, or you, you, uh, the tire blows, you know what I'm saying? And, and in people's faith, this is what happens. People's faith gets out of balance and they don't realize it. And if they're not in a community with people who are doing their best to rightly divide the word of truth, and there's not a balanced approach to how to interpret scripture, that out of balanceness in their faith all of a sudden gets worse and worse until after about five years, maybe 10 years, uh, they begin to question some very, very important things about scripture. And because there's no balance or there's, no, there's not someone there to help, right, all of a sudden there's a blowout in their faith. And then like we talked about the first week, that's where people begin to say things like I'm deconstructing. 
And again, we talked about deconstruction versus you know, reforming or renewing someone's faith and how we are all on a journey of, of our faith being built and then certain beliefs kind of you know, ebbing and flowing and learning more. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about deconstructing, leaving and, and you know, being spun off into empty deceit. And, and, and so for some of us, that's what happens whenever we get out of balance in something like this in regards to atonement is it's like, it's just a small compromise. We don't realize how big of a compromise it might be. And so here's the deal. Many struggle with the atonement because of this. It's, I believe it's because we underestimate sin. I believe that we just underestimate, underestimate sin. So we feel like sin isn't that big of a deal. So then why did God have to respond in the way that he's responded? Right? We underestimate sin. We underestimate how serious Adam and Eve's disobedience was. We underestimate and, uh, the devastating effects of sin and, and how, um, how, uh, how far they reach in our, in our world. And we also underestimate how costly sin actually is. We, we have this, I'm gonna put it this way. We have a misdemeanor mindset about sin. It's like a misdemeanor mindset. Okay, so how many of you have ever been pulled over by, by a police officer because you were speeding and you said this phrase, not, maybe not to him, okay, but after you got the ticket and you got home and you're talking to your, your friend or your spouse or whoever, and you're like, why don't they go out there and catch the real criminals? Come on. Show of hands, how many of you have thought or said it? I, wait, let's try this again. Hold on. One, two, three. Come on. All right, probably half of us. The other half of you, I don't believe you, and that's it. So go catch the real criminals. There's murderers out there right now. There's, there's drug dealers. There's people who are shoplifting, right? They're stealing. I'm just going 40 over. I mean, it was a long stretch of highway. There's literally nobody in sight. He had his lights off. He was in the median. I had, you know what I'm saying? It was a trap. You trapped me is what it was. We have this, this way of underestimating our actions. The reality is that, that you know, those black letters on that, that sign say whatever it said, 30, and you were going 50. That was the law and you broke it. And it's honestly, it's just, by grace that we don't all go to jail for all the things that we haven't been caught for, okay? But um, <laughs> so we have a misdemeanor mindset about sin. And so what happens is we, we take how we live in this life and we apply that to the things of God, to the Bible, to how we see sin or whatever, and we downplay it because it just doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Where, and we don't realize that the Bible talks about how if we break one iota, one thing in any part of the law, God's law, we're guilty of breaking all of it. Sin is not just a small little thing. It's a pollutant that perverts everything and it destroys everything, even the smallest amount. And that's what happened. Come on, the disobedience of Adam and Eve and however that looked, it wasn't that big of a deal, man. Come on, it's because you don't understand. And you know what? One day we will understand how devastating sin is, but it's probably not gonna be in this life. I believe that. I believe that, that one day 
whenever we stand before God, I believe that we're, we're finally going to really understand how devastating sin was and is and, and how uh, devastating it was to, to God's creation and why God reacts and, and is, um, uh, why his plan is carried out the way that it is whenever we truly actually see sin for what it is. But for now, we're in it. We're, we've been, like we're, we're, the, we're the frog in the boiling water, you know what I'm saying? And we're like, it's not that bad. We're one degree away from our skin melting off, you know, <laughs> the boiling water. We're like, it's not that bad. It's like, no, it is that bad. You just don't realize it because you've been in it your whole life. Sin is a big deal. We underestimate it. And so, but if you understand what sin is, that it is injustice and rebellion against God, humanity, and all creation, then you would understand that sin needs to be dealt with and that God is just by punishing sin. You would understand that God is just in this. I want you to think of it like this. If you were watching a trial, you're in a courtroom and there's somebody there who has murdered someone and everybody knows it, it's 100%, right? Pled guilty, the whole nine yards. And how unjust would it feel if that, if that judge said, I know that you've done this, 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 and this, but I'm having a good day. Starbucks made my coffee, right? Feeling good. You can go free. Do you feel the angst inside of you right now? I know someone who whenever they were a young kid, this is years and years ago, their dad was murdered and everyone knew who did it. But because there was corruption in the city that they lived in, that person was never held accountable. Could you imagine growing up with that? It's wrong. It's an injustice because we can see that sin and we say that sin is wrong and it needs to be dealt with blood for blood. You know what I'm saying? That's how a lot of people, there's a reaction, justice. And we cry out for justice in moments like that, but we don't cry out for the same justice when it comes to sin because again, we underestimate it. We don't really understand it. And so God is a just God. He's a just judge and he doesn't let sin go unpunished. Okay, I believe that we all desire justice because it's innate in us. We were made in the image of God and one of the attributes of God is that he is just. He sets the standard for right and wrong and people struggle with this. He sets the standard for what is right and wrong and it's in his nature to also uphold that standard by punishing sin, by holding sin accountable. This is known as the wrath of God. Now, do you understand how we just rephrased the wrath of God by him holding sin accountable, right? It, that's a completely different perspective than just God is just this raging inferno of anger. No, wrath is actually just. It's God's wrath is just. And we are all subject to the wrath of God apart from Christ. All of us, every one of us. We are apart from Christ. Progressive Christians say that Wrath is a human construct because God is love, right? God is love. And again, it's one side of the story. God is love, but there are other attributes of who God is that we must also hold intention to actually understand God. And also we must de define love properly. 
just like we must define wrath properly, God's wrath, we must also define God's love properly. There is no different than the justice of God in regards to God's approach to sin. It's loving that he holds sin accountable and would be unloving to not punish sin and those who sin. God must have wrath on sin to actually be loving. We would say that that judge who lets that person off the hook, we would say that they are a bad judge. And honestly, that's where a lot of people are today in their cries for justice, which is they've seen corruption, they've seen things. Look, I've got friends in the justice system and you have a conversation off the record and they're like, there's some stuff, okay? There's a lot. There's corruption in mankind because we are corrupted by sin. And so we would, we would say they're a bad judge. And if God did not hold sin accountable, we would say he's, a, he's actually an unloving God. But again, we're on this side of eternity. We have this perspective. We also are, a lot, a lot of people are dead in sin. And so they also read the Bible from a dead in sin perspective, not regenerated, not renewed. And so all of these scriptures are like a really bad novel. That's why we have to speak about these things. Ephesians 2 does a great job of, of letting us know what has happened and what is happening. Number, uh, verse 3, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, all of us, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, born in sin apart from God, subject to the wrath of God, but also just wrathful. It says, like the rest of mankind. Again, the Bible does a great job in many different books of saying we're all under this umbrella of sin. It's not just the really bad, it's not just the murderers, right? That whole misdemeanor mindset. It's not just those really bad people out there, it's all of us. And so we were all like this, like the rest of mankind. And this is where the story changes. We love verse four, come on y'all. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This, these scriptures perfectly illustrate the mercy of God. The mercy of God is that he does not punish us for our sins as we deserve, but places that judgment on Jesus, God in the flesh, which accomplishes reconciliation between God and man, pays the price that we could not pay, right? So therefore, judgment is necessary for reconciliation to take place, and we access this reconciliation with God by faith in Jesus's atonement. It's as, as clearly as I can describe the gospel. And so we believe that the only way to escape judgment for our sin is to be reconciled to God through Christ's atoning work. There is no other way. It's why Jesus' words are so significant when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's why we, we repeat that so much because there's different angles and perspectives of, of trying to skew that, bend that, uh, uh, lessen or water that down to where it's more uh, palatable for people to 
receive and, and, and make it look like everything else to where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All things kind of are all, all religions are leading to the same God or all religions come from the same God, depending which camp you're, you're, you're in, because they say both things. And it's like, no, <laughs> no, it's not what the word of God says. It's not what we believe. And if you take one of these, again, one of these Jenga pieces away, if you take away sin, if you take away the atonement, it's only a matter of time before the whole thing comes crashing down. And and what happens is this. Some people, they take away one of these pieces and uh, it doesn't really, it doesn't affect their faith at first. Or you'll hear them say this. This perspective is so much more freeing than the other perspective. Now that I think this way, man, I see Christ totally different. My eyes are open and dude, I just, I walk through, I see people differently and I've just got this positive outlook on life. But give it time. And I'm not saying this dramatically, I'm saying this because I know of people that this is their story. It started out so good. They read a book and they were enlightened, right? They grew up Christian and it got boring. Come on. It just got, dude, I'm so sick of hearing about Jesus' blood. It's like, it's played out, man. Yeah, and, and they read a book and it's like, there's this new way of looking at it. And it's like, wow, this is amazing. And then give it a year. And it's like, it's, it's, it's still amazing, but it's not as fresh and then keep playing it out and it ends up all the way back to what is wrong with this world? What is wrong with me? Why can't I figure this out? And eventually for many people it leads to agnosticism, sometimes atheism, but in our world today, most people are just, they kind of get stuck in this, this agnostic or spiritualism. The guy that we just watched describes himself as a Christian agnostic which is as confusing as it sounds. And <laughs> even people who are kind of on his side of the fence are like, yeah, man, that's kind of a weird way of putting it, but uh, we'll go with it, you know? It, it leads to some, why? Because it's Gnostic, okay? It's, it's fresh revelation, it's new ideas that are so fancy. But guys, listen, there's nothing new under the sun. It's just the package that is coming in here today. And so I wanna wrap up by saying this. We believe Jesus died for us was punished for our sin, paid the price we could not pay with his blood, and won our victory over sin, death, and the grave. And we receive this righteousness of God, the righteousness of God by God's grace through faith in the finished work of Christ. He he did what we could not do, earned what we could not earn, finished it, and now here we stand in the victory through faith in, in the finished work of Christ. We can stand in victory. It doesn't mean that your life is gonna be perfect from here on out. That's not what I'm preaching today. I'm not preaching prosperity gospel to you. Life is hard. Jesus said you're gonna go through tribulations. There's gonna be ups, there's gonna be downs, there's gonna be good seasons and bad seasons. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about victory in Christ that supersedes all of that in eternity. That's right. And it's not false hope, it's not false affirmation. It's not ignoring the the, the here and now. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just saying that whatever happens today, there's something coming that's greater than that. Amen? Amen. So Jesus left us with a great way to remember this. 
he left us with the communion, with the Lord's Supper. And that's what we're gonna do here today as we close and uh, we're gonna take communion and then sing here in a second. If you did not get a, a cup of communion um, and you'd like to, go ahead and raise your hand. We got a couple of hosts that are gonna bring a bucket by and, and hand those out to you. Um, I also am going to need one of those as I tend, oh, thanks, Dad. All right. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was counterproductive, but such a servant's heart. Just gonna take a second, hand those out. Oh, look now, do you have an extra one? Oh, you already have, okay, now, now we're making sense. Now it's not totally confusing anymore. <laughs> As we're doing that, um, I want to describe what this is because what, what happens is uh, we maybe grow up doing something a lot and uh, repetitively and, and typically things that are repetitive, especially in church, become very religious. Um, it becomes routine and it, and it eventually lacks power, it lacks meaning. And that is not what what this is about. This is not to be taken lightly. This is not to be frivolously done. Um, Paul actually talks about how many people receive the communion in an unworthily, un unworthily manner. And uh, this is what I believe. Whenever we receive the communion, we take this together, what we are doing is we are saying that we understand what the body and the blood of Jesus, what, what took place on the cross. And I believe that it actually is something that God will, it's a great way to remind us, but it's also something that holds us accountable. It's like, you know, do you remember whenever you took communion? Whenever you were, you know, 40 years old in that church, like, and, and that guy stood up there and explained, that was my grace being extended to you to let you know about truth. I, I just believe that there's, there's something about this that's beautiful to remind us and also something that holds us accountable. So every time that I take communion, um, I like to take a second and ask God just to search my heart. You know, maybe that's you. You know that you're far from God today. I, I would just, man, don't do this in a religious way. Don't take it lightly. But I wanna pray and I wanna ask God to, uh, to do a deep work in us to help us to understand the far reaching effects of sin but also to understand the power that's found in the blood and sacrifice of Jesus and the victory that we have over sin, death, and the grave because of what Jesus has done. We said this a couple of years ago whenever we went through the book of Romans. Uh, we said it a lot and it confused some people and I had to explain it, but the good news is so good because the bad news is so bad. You know? And again, that's what happens. Is some people, they don't see that there's really bad news. Sin isn't really that big of a deal. Right, we can do it ourselves, and so therefore, don't really need any good news because everything's kind of, you know, good, good, everything good, all right, good. It's not, it's not. But because of the body and the blood of Jesus, we have hope. So let's pray. God, we love you, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for dealing with sin once and for all through his life. Thank you for sending your only begotten son to give us hope to pay for sin. And today, God, we just declare 
that we believe in the cross. We believe in everything that we've spoken about. We believe. For some of you, you have not believed, and this is a moment for you to, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is God, that you believe that he laid down his life for you and receive by faith the grace of God. Receive eternal life. Jesus, we remember your body that was broken for us to give us healing, to defeat every disease. And we believe, God, that you're still performing miracles today. We thank you for taking upon your back our punishment. We eat this together to remember. Jesus, we thank you for your precious blood that was, that was poured out on our behalf, that you took upon yourself our punishment, died, shed your blood on the cross. We thank you for that. We remember that. We believe it in faith today as we drink this together. Let's stand to our feet. We're gonna sing one more song together. And this song is sort of going to, we're gonna sing about what we just talked about. And we're gonna celebrate this truth. Uh, I wanna encourage you in this time to really contemplate what we talked about. For some of you, you've really been dealing with this. It's, it's been pretty intense. For some of you watching online, like this is, this is kind of the hinge pin for you, what we've talked about today. And I want you to ask God again to reveal himself to you. But we're gonna also, we're celebrating what Jesus has done. We're celebrating his victory over sin, death, and the grave. And the fact that we have that victory here today. Amen? Amen. Amen.